Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malako. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we're going to talk about baby boomers and aging gracefully with horses. I know in your clinics, a lot of times you have people that are returning to the sport after some time off. And we want to just kind of have some tips here to get them back into the sport with confidence and so that they can enjoy it. So let's start out with why is riding a lifelong sport? Well, I suppose it's because the horse is doing all the work. Um, you know, there there aren't very many active sports that you can do throughout your lifetime, but there are a few. And although riding is not a sport that is great for very small children, you know, after the age of, let's say, six or eight, it's a sport you can do for the rest of your life. I, I know people who rode well into their 70s and 80s and, um, you know, occasionally you even hear of a 90-year-old rider. And um, it's also because it's a sport that requires a fair amount of time commitment. I think that a lot of people um, earlier in their life, they don't have time maybe to have horses. Maybe when they were a kid they had a horse, but then Mm -hmm. they go to college and, you know, get a job and get married and have kids and all during that time, let's say your 20s and 30s, um, you're so consumed with those activities that horses don't fit well into that stage of life. But most of the riders I would say that, that I deal with in my clinics and that I talk to at expos are more in the 40 to 70 range and that's a period of life where you tend to have a little bit more discretionary time. You have time to do things for your own personal uh, fulfillment instead of for someone else. And um, so that's why, what you know, what we ended up with today in this industry is, is a, um, a customer base that, that is in that baby boomer age bracket of people that, and, and a little bit younger than that now, but I would say, um, probably 80 to 90 percent of the people that I'm dealing with in clinics are uh, 40 and older. So, um, in even though it is a very very active sport, um, because you are riding a horse and the horse is doing the the heavy lifting, um, it's a way for uh, us to remain active and stay outdoors and enjoy nature. Um, plus have a fulfilling relationship with a um, an animal that it has a lot of mystique and, and allure. And uh, so for all those reasons, it, it's a very appealing sport as, uh, as we age. What do you hear most often in that scenario? Did a lot of people that come to you ride as a child? Did they just have a dream of doing it? Who do you see are those people that are now wanting to get into it at that more mature age? Well, if I had to guess, I would say uh, a majority of the people, maybe 60%, had some involvement with horses as a youth, um, ranging anywhere from maybe their family had horses when they were a kid um, up to 
uh, you know, maybe they were involved heavily showing horses or in 4-H or something as a kid. Um, and then there are some people for whom maybe they have some minor um, experience as a youth, maybe the grandparents or they went to a summer camp or they just watched enough old-time movies and gun smoke to have that <laughs> uh, passion for horses brewing. Um, so I would say the the rest of that uh, group, the 40% of them, are, are coming into horses really pretty new for the first time in their um, after the age of 40. And, and these and people, I say 40 on the young end, but I, an average would probably be closer to 55. Uh, a lot of the uh, people I talk to at expos, for instance, will will say I didn't even start riding until I was 55, or um, sometimes even 60s. And so, um, yeah, so people even coming new to the sport in that age bracket. Well, good. And are you, those people, they're probably not wanting to be horse trainers. They're, they're wanting to do this because they think it's something that will be an enjoyable activity. Would you say that's the, the most common thing is just to be able to enjoy this time of life, enjoy being with an animal, enjoy just having a, a hobby? Yes, and, and for for many people, trail riding and being out in nature in the woods or where, where, whatever the environment that you ride in is a big thing. Staying active is a big thing. Um, but the relationship that you have with the animal for many people is very, very important as well. And um, so, you know, it's, it's activity, it's exercise, it's fun. Um, but you also get hopefully some satisfaction and personal fulfillment as well from the relationship that you develop with these magnificent animals. And that leads us right into how important the horse is. If you're going to enjoy this as a sport, you probably don't want a project. What kind of horse would you recommend this group of riders really look for? Well, you know, what I really impress upon people is safety. And you need a safe and well-trained horse because even at its best, even with a a very well-tempered, well-trained and experienced horse, it is a very risky sport. Uh, You know, 100% of the people that participate in horse sports are going to get banged around a little bit. They're going to get... Uh, bruised up, stepped on, you know, maybe better fixed. They're they're highly likely to at some point come off the horse, uh, fall to the ground. Uh, so this is a very physical sport at its best. And so if you add to that equation a horse that is poorly trained, is disturbed or temperamental in some way, uh, requires a stronger, uh, more qualified rider uh, than than the ability you have. Um, all of that just grossly increases the risk. Um, so right. I, I think you know. For me, um, I I always tell people the purchase price is the least amount of money you're going to pay for that horse. Mm-hmm. And um, so don't go cheap on the purchase price. And and the money that you spend should be primarily spent on training. 
and uh, training and experience and stability, uh, reliability, uh, those are the factors that are most important. Now, what are the things that people are more likely to put at the top of their list? Often it's color, often it's breed, um, and you know, sometimes it's datedness, um, all of those things. Well, color to me has zero bearing on uh, that would have, uh, although there are some colors that I wouldn't consider buying, I don't really, I wouldn't really buy a horse because of its color, and that certainly wouldn't be top on the list. Um, but many people do because they've got, they've been thinking about, they've been putting this dream off for, you know, 40 years or whatever, and in their dream, it was a black and white pinto, so that's what they want, or a palvino or whatever. Um, but when you put uh, an aesthetic trait at the top, then mm-hmm. you're sacrificing something else. And to me, the most important things are training, experience, reliability, um, and suitability to the rider. In other words, if you're a beginner rider, you need a horse that's suitable for a beginner. If, if you're an advanced rider, you need a horse that's going to be able to keep up with you. So, um, so those are the things I think are really important. What about age in that? Is there a, an age with you kind of fitting into this demographic? If you hadn't ridden all of your life, what what age horse would you be looking for? Well, in general, with horses, older is better. And because um, there's two separate factors here, uh, training and seasoning. And so training, um, you can put a fair amount of training on a horse in one year. So let's say I had a young horse and I put it with a professional trainer for one year. At the end of that one year, I should have a pretty well-trained horse. But if I put him in training as a three-year-old and at the end of that year he's just four years old, he is still very young and very green and he hasn't had a lot of life experience unless during that one year he went to about 50 horse shows and traveled all over the country and did all that, in which case I might not want to buy him because he's been flat wore out. But um, seasoning is life experience. And a horse that has been there and done that has been loaded in the trailer, taken to new places, been ridden in uh, unknown environments, unknown to the horse, um, he has life experience that we call seasoning that is invaluable. And uh, all the training in the world, I could leave that same young horse with a trainer for two, three, four, five years, but unless during that time he was also being hauled off the farm, ridden by different people, done different things, seen different environments, he still wouldn't have that seasoning. So. Um, that's why older tends to be better because, yes, you want that hopefully professional training, but you also want a horse that has a lot of experience. The more the older and the more experience they have, the more reliable they are. Well, and if you're um, already in your prime years, you don't want to get a young horse and wait for him another three or four years before you feel confident to go do something that you want to do. I think so. That's where, like you said, that you're buying training first and foremost. Yeah. So, and by the way, you can always buy training and seasoning for way cheaper and way faster than you can put it on a horse. 
So if I bought an untrained horse, now I've got to put it with a trainer, spend a lot of money, and that also takes a lot of time. Um, but it's going to take me years and hauling that horse around quite a bit to get the seasoning on him. You can buy a horse that already has all that, particularly if you look at a horse that's, let's say, approaching uh, middle age. Let's say he's in the 14, 15-year-old range. That's a horse that's got all kinds of training, all kinds of seasoning, um, but he's, because of his age, he's starting to go down in value. So um, you can always buy those qualities cheaper than you can put them on a horse. Is there and a horse that you would consider maybe too old just just so that you have enough time to enjoy him without, you know, would you put an upper end of 18 on there or is there anything you would have as a parameter? Yeah, so sort of depends on your uh, degree of usage. And so, I yeah, probably, you know, any time, as you start looking at acquiring horses in the 18-year-old range, you're going to almost pay nothing for them because they've got, you know, whatever, five or six, eight, seven years left in them. Um, but after that, they're, they're worth nothing. And so you, what, you're, what you're taking on is a commitment to take care of that horse until he dies. And um, so let's say I had an 18-year-old horse, super nice. He used to be a show horse. I, you know, we've ridden him. We're done with him. Um, I would, if I could find a person to give that horse to that would, that had the resources and would make the commitment to take care of that horse until he died, that I would give them that horse. So you can acquire that older horse virtually for nothing if you're willing to make that commitment. The horse mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, as, as you go, we used to say the lifespan of a horse ended at 25. Um, I like when I was little, when, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years ago, that's what we used to say. But, um, you know, horses routinely live to 30 now and sometimes beyond. But that's because health care and nutrition is better. Um, their body is pretty worn out. If you, if you could ride them lightly until they were 25, that, that'd be pretty good. So, you know, by the time a horse is, let's just say, on average 25, He's probably pretty well done, other than maybe packing around a little kid every now and then, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for 20 minutes. So if you were a person that were never going to be a super active rider, you're only going to ride one day a week, maybe for an hour or two, um, that 18 to 24-year-old horse might suit you. Um, if, on the other hand, you are a rider that's going to be riding, you know, four or five days a week, going on hard rides in the mountains, that kind of stuff, you you don't need to buy an 18-year-old horse. You need to buy a younger, a younger right. horse. Well, I just, I just wanted to kind of put a parameter on seasoning. So maybe we're looking at 8 to 14, 15, somewhere in that kind of good range that they've had enough time to have seasoning, but they're not yeah. so done that you're going to have lameness problems and more health care charges. Right. Well, keep in mind a horse is not fully mature until he's about eight. Um, and then uh, he he starts declining physically um, around the 15, 16-year-old age mm-hmm. bracket. So you have about an eight to 16, you know, prime of horses. 
So I think as long as you're buying a horse within that prime, you're you're probably okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I look so, at I look at horses uh, when I am looking for horses for resale to this market we're talking about. I look for a ten year old horse. Good. Okay. So say you found that perfect ten year old horse and you're ready to go, you feel like it's a horse you can trust, it's had all the seasoning, all these things we've talked about, what are the challenges for mature riders as they're actually getting ready to to start a new athletic career with this horse? Well, you know, it's interesting how appealing horse sports are to this this age group, even though it's a very physical and maybe um, dealing with animals, but um, you know certainly uh, as we age, um, fitness and balance and strength becomes an issue. And uh, riding in particular is a sport that requires a lot of balance. Yet as we age, our balance decreases. So you. You reach your maximum age of balance at about 18 or 19 years old, and then your balance starts naturally declining, a long, slow uh, decline to the grave. And uh, so, however, balance is a sport that you can always improve through exercise, no matter what your age is. So even if you are 80, you can do exercises that challenge your balance and thus improve your balance. So since riding is such a critical, uh, balance is such a critical skill for riding, um, and because balance naturally declines with age, um, that's a challenge that a a lot of this age group um, faces. Also, riding is a sport that involves a lot of core strength, and um, so as you sit on a horse and learn to move with the horse um, at all the gates and move in rhythm with the horse and, um, you know, post a trot, sit a trot, canter, all those things require a lot of um, abdominal strength and core strength. And um, so there's another thing that tends to decline with age. <laughs> and um, so so that's a challenge, too, too. And because riding is and handling horses and feeding them and cleaning stalls and, you know, saddling mm-hmm. them and all those things are uh, quite physical, which is something that makes the sport appealing, I think, to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also requires upper body strength and... Um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's a, a sport that's very difficult to participate in without occasionally getting pushed around a little bit, falling down, getting stepped on. So you're you're going to be enduring some uh, bumps and bruises, and uh, hopefully that's all. <laughs> right. But, um, so I think fitness and strength, keeping strength building um, exercises that uh, keep your upper body strength strong. Um, these are uh, important challenges for uh, riders in this age group. So, Julie, specifically, what do you do to help 
keep your balance and keep working on balance? Well, I am, I just turned 57 and I get, and I, you know, I've been a professional rider since I was, well, I've ridden all my life. Well, the first time somebody paid me, I was 14. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been riding professionally for a long, long time. And I still, as as I age, the older I get, the more important these things I was just talking about are. And so fitness has always been important to me, um, but as I age, it's even more important. And so I work out daily, I um, and I always focus, I want my workout to focus on three key things. Um, one is core strength. So I like to have a, a good abdominal workout at least three days a week. And um, then also I want to have an aerobic component. Riding can be uh, quite aerobically challenging at high speed. And uh, so I always want something that's going to keep my aerobic uh, capacity very strong. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I want a strength-building um, component, particularly in my upper body, um, because my legs have always stayed very strong. I don't worry about strength-building in my legs because I do a lot of uh, hiking and uh, stuff like that, plus riding. But um, my upper body, you know, I think particularly for women, as we age, we start having a lot of uh, trouble there with upper body strength. So right. I like to do something that uh, is going to be strength building, particularly for the upper body. Okay, so balance, though, is that where you use the, what is it, the BOSU ball a lot? Is that just to kind of practice that and have that balance in motion, even if it's not on a horse? Right. Sorry, I left out balance. So, you know, the I definitely want, and that's a part of the core strength. But I, I, I sure, consider, sure. I consider my balance exercises separate from the abdominal exercises. But um, yes, I love uh, anything that challenges my balance, whether that's just simply standing on one foot or balancing on a on a stair or something. But um, I like the Bosu ball, which is a a half of a big exercise ball on a on a platform that sits on the floor, and so you stand so you can stand on this half a ball, and it is a dynamic surface, uh, much like sitting on the horse of a, the back of a horse. Right. Uh, but there's all kinds of different exercises you can do with the Bosu um, to challenge your balance on a on a dynamic surface, even just. Stepping up and down off of it is um, challenging to your balance. So, um, but there's all kinds of different balance boards, and and there's different sports and different kind of workouts that'll give you more challenge to your balance than um, than some do. And what's your favorite thing to do for aerobic exercise? What makes it fun but isn't necessarily with your horse? Oh, well, I like, I like to hike with my friends um, uphill. Uh, we live up in the mountains and um, at altitude, and so it doesn't take much of a hill to get an aerobic workout around here. 
Um, so I love that. I, if I'm, uh, as I travel, I tend to work out more in hotel fitness centers. I like the elliptical machine because it's uh, a little bit like running but not as hard on your joints. And um, right. so I used to... Uh, I used to love to run, but I've had to, to give that up um, just to kind of preserve it's my hard mind. on you, <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, so, but the elliptical is something I can get a similar workout. But occasionally I'll go on the treadmill. I just try not to, to run. I'll do a really fast power walk or something. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to throw in there, I know you take Kosamin every day to help with joint stuff, so always good to... Yeah, I do. Recently, I actually, um, because I was traveling um, nonstop, I didn't come home for several weeks, and I ran out of my my supply of vitamins, including the Kosamin ASU that I take, and uh, boy, within about three or four days, I could really start feeling the... Uh, creeping back into my joints, the stiffness, the uh, joint pain. So it was a it was a recent reminder of how valuable that glucosamine supplement is. Good, yeah, I I know the difference too. I'm just having grown so tall, so young. I've been on that for a long time, and it definitely you can tell when you haven't done it. Okay, so we talked about balance. We talked about fitness. I know recently we just shot a TV show of all about posture, and that especially for mature riders, where everything we do tends to be in front of a computer or looking down, focusing inward and just rounding our shoulders, and we know that's opposite of what you want in the saddle. So what are some posture tips, especially for mature riders, that you can think of? Well, this has been become a, an increasing focus of mine and my teaching and also in my personal life because without question, as we age, our posture deteriorates. And if you, uh, this whole concept of um, aging backwards, you know, she talks about, uh, imagine the posture of an 18-year-old young man versus the posture of an 85-year-old man. And what you see is this gradual deterioration of posture. And as you were just saying, so many things in our lives contribute to that, uh, you know, working on the computer, driving, uh, just being tired, sitting around, you know, picking up kids, whatever. Um, So as we age, we we tend to uh, lose particularly upper body posture. And... I refuse to succumb to that. So I've been working very hard on this personally, but I've been teaching people to ride for um, over 30 years. And what what I've always known is that most riding errors are actually posture problems. Um, So when we talk about rounded shoulders or arched backs or uh, whatever, um, generally, those are uh, are posture problems. And if the person has rounded shoulders on the horse, they have them on the ground. They have them all the time. So um, teaching people to tuck their tailbone underneath and engage their abdominal muscles, these all have to do with posture. And uh, 
So, yeah, there's lots of things, both riding and in your lifestyle, you can do um, to work on your posture. And um, I, uh, I, uh, you know, work on this in clinics, talk about it at expos, and then do these things for myself, too. Um, but one thing is you want your um, shoulder blades to be very flat on your back. Um, so you want to think of lifting the sternum, flattening your shoulder blades, um, and and sort of rotating your shoulder blades down towards your hips. But um, for some people, this posture may be hard to find, especially if they've let it go for a long time and your and your upper body shoulders are really rounded. Um, but the muscles, the little cluster of muscles that you want to get in touch with in your back are the same muscles that you would engage if I snuck up behind you and I dropped a little ice cube down your shirt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you can imagine how you would sort of arch your back to get that ice cube uh, off your back, um, that little cluster of muscles sort of right at the bottom of your shoulder blade, um, those are the ones we want to get back in touch with and engage and um, so if you just kind of can imagine the ice cube, that'll help. And then for me, I, my husband and I actually, we made a commitment to each other that we weren't going to let our posture turn into little old man and little old lady posture. <laughs> so we agreed to remind each other and we agreed to make a commitment to it. I spent about two weeks concentrating really hard on my posture. And at the end of the first week, it was no longer very hard. It didn't take hard concentration. At the end of the first week, it was starting to feel normal to me. And by the end of the second week, it felt so normal that when I did start slouching because I was tired or because I was leaning over the computer or whatever it is that causes you to to do that, um, I would actually notice my bad posture fast because it made me uncomfortable. So if you just make a commitment for a couple of weeks, it will have enough impact on you to sort of reshape your muscle memory and um, you, you can, you know, start improving your posture right away. Um, also, another really common mistake people make in riding, and I think a lot of times people, when they're concentrating, they jut their chin forward, mm-hmm. or they look down. Um, they look at the horse, or, or sometimes they're just gazing uh, sort of blindly down. But when you're spinal column is perfectly straight and perfectly vertical, your head only weighs about 12 pounds. But for every inch forward your forehead comes, your head gets heavier and heavier and heavier until if you um, curl your head all the way forward, as far forward as you can while you're still sitting up straight, By the time your head gets to the end of that range, it weighs like 42 pounds. Mm. So um, if we can keep our, that neck alignment, that vertical alignment in our upper back all the way, actually, I, I want my vertical column to be, I want my spinal column to be perfectly vertical. 
um, all the way up. But particularly if you focus on the, the from the shoulders up, um, your your head is very light and it's much easier to maintain good posture. So a couple of tips for keeping that head position. Besides just trying to remind yourself to look out in front of you instead of look down at your horse, um, I like to think about putting my nose behind my belt buckle. And so um, most of us tend to be too far forward when we're riding, and these posture problems have to relate, relate to uh, tipping forward. So if you think of putting your nose behind your belt buckle, uh, that'll help a lot. Um, also, I'm a big... Uh, uh, for myself, I use the image of um, what we call chi walking. And so mm-hmm. chi, chi is your center, your, your core. And um, chi walking or chi riding requires just three simple things. And first thing is to align your spinal column vertically. So I want to make sure I'm sitting back. My tailbone's tucked underneath me a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm stretching and lengthening through the top of my head. Um, the, my upper body shoulder area is flat. My neck is flat. So I have now aligned my spinal column vertically. Next, I want to check my horizontal alignment, which means I want my shoulders and my hips to be level and, um, and long, you know, mm-hmm. I want my sides and my lats to be long. And the third thing is to walk or to ride chi first. So instead of leaning forward and powering yourself forward with your legs, you walk with your center coming first. So you imagine sort of that your belly button is going first. And what that does is engages your abdominal muscles in in the activity, whether you're riding or um, walking or running. And um, so you... And, you know, it's actually really the same thing when we talk about a horse coming through his body in mm-hmm. dressage. That's a common word, uh, term used. It's the same thing I'm just talking about just now. By, uh, by aligning vertically and aligning horizontally and then moving chi first, that's the human version of coming through your, your body. Um, so that all of your muscles are united in this effort and and the effort is originating from your abdominal core. And you're in that alignment. There doesn't have to be stress on everything because it's in a place where you can sway, you can move with the motion, you're not grabbing on to hold. If you jut your head out, then you have to hold it there with muscles instead of being able to to move along with, with the horse or to, to absorb that motion too. Right. Balance comes from having alignment of your structural system, your skeletal system. And uh, so that's what we're talking about as we talk about um, the ver- the aligning the spinal column vertically. So, um, of course, in your riding position, your whole body has to be aligned from your ear down to your heels. Um, but that's where balance originates from. So, yeah, the alignment is critical. <clears throat> Now, Julie, the last thing I want to bring up with you is confidence, but everything we've just talked about here with balance and thinking about your fitness, thinking about your posture and your alignment, all of those are going to impact confidence. But what other confidence, give me just a couple of tips on 
how mature riders can kind of make sure that they're riding with confidence, taking time to actually enjoy this instead of it being a fearful adventure. Well, we talked already about the importance of the horse in, in this equation. And, um, you know, I, ideally you're dealing with a horse that is going to help you build confidence, not take your confidence away. Sure. If you are dealing with a horse that is a constant battle and a constant struggle or frightens you, then every day he's chipping away at your confidence. Whereas with an appropriate horse, you would have a horse that's helping you build confidence. So that's one thing. Um, also, just conducting yourself in a smart way, uh, wearing a helmet, uh being conscientious of um, the environment around you, uh, hanging out with and riding with people that share uh, a sense of uh, value of safety and sensibility, um, that have well-trained horses, well-behaved horses. Um, horses are herd animals, so they tend to act like the animals around them. So um, if I want my horse to... Um, stay calm and, and obedient. I prefer to be surrounded by other horses that are acting the same way. Right. Um, also, uh, you know, try to, to uh, riding is a sport that takes a long time to master. It's, uh, it's, it's years and decades, not days and weeks to master this sport. Um, so be patient and go slowly and build a good foundation in your riding. Do do easier things before you do hard things. <laughs> um, take small steps outside your comfort zone. Don't uh, if you're afraid to canter, well then don't canter. Stay at the trot for a long time until you build so much confidence at the trot that cantering doesn't seem like a big deal to you. Um, so I recommend that people progress slowly. Uh, they get professional help, so they build a strong foundation in their skills. Um, hang out with sensible people that know more than you do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then finally, there's a, a few really important things that you can do as you ride or as you are working with your horse. And those are, um, first of all, your eyes. Make sure your eyes stay focused far out in front of you, um, make sure you're not, uh, you know, losing your focus staring straight down. So keep your eyes focused and active and looking around the environment. Second thing is your breathing. Um, one of the first things that happen when, you're, uh, when you start getting nervous is your breathing changes and you start very shallow breathing or sometimes holding your breath. So um, deep abdominal breathing is the antidote to fearful breathing. So I want to practice a lot of deep abdominal breathing. I like to breathe in rhythm to my horse's stride as I'm riding. That helps me uh, stay um, well oxygenated and rhythmic and, and relaxed. Uh, so you got your eyes, you got your breathing, and the, and the third really hard, hard nuts and bolt thing that you can do is be aware of your body language. Do not let your body language succumb to, to the emotion of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so stand up tall, look around, try to look confident. Uh, we call that fake it until you make it. 
Um, but your body language, um, the, the mental, the physical, and the emotional are all intertwined. And so if I can control the physical aspect of my being by deep abdominal breathing and a confident posture, um, the emotion of fear won't stand a chance. If I keep my eyes focused and looking around me and taking in information in my environment, my mental status is not going to deteriorate. And again, the emotion doesn't stand a chance. So, um, and then, in the moment, I like that idea. I've heard somebody else phrase it the same thing almost, but there's no fear in the moment, but fear is thinking about the next moment. So the more you breathe and you take in information, you stay in the current moment and you can't be fearful there because you're not thinking ahead of what's going to happen. You're just sitting where you are. Exactly. And and the great bonus with horses is that, um, again, because they're herd animals, they're going to react in a positive way to that. So if your body language looks confident, confident, they get a sense of confidence from you. If you're breathing deeply and in a relaxed way, they breathe deeply and relax. Um, if you're looking around taking in information, they feel more comfortable with you as the leader. So um, these things not only improve your own state of emotions, but they, the horse benefits as well. So you're going to have a calmer horse and you're going to actually enjoy it. And that's, that's the whole point. I love that the theme of everything we've talked about is being able to enjoy what you're doing. You're doing this because you have time for yourself and you want to go and actually enjoy being with the animal and enjoy being out on the trail or doing whatever activity you're doing. Right. You probably didn't get into horses to create more stress and aggravation in your life. And uh, so it's important that you have fun that you get some sense of personal fulfillment from it, and whether that be the relationship you have with your horse, the physical activity or the skill building, um, or all of the above. You know, it's about having fun, and uh, it's about enhancing your lifestyle. Good, Julie. I think that's really helpful and some good action tips. I was doing all my posture changes along as you were talking about them, so I hope everybody else was too. Good. Well, I know I was. (laughs) Good. Thanks so much, Julie. Thank you. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here today with Desiree Johnson from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. I know your sizing is a little bit interesting. Tell me how you decided to do sizing this way and, and what the sizing process is. All right. Well, when we first started the website and I was working on my sizing page, Eric and I had several discussions how we were going to approach this because industry sizing is all over the place. For instance, I wear a 4 in a Q-Baby and I wear a 10 in another style wow. of riding gear. So I that just wasn't going to work for me. So because of the industry sizing and because I just wanted to be creative. You know, I'm a, I'm a creative person. I decided to give them breed names. For instance, my smallest size of gene is an Arabian, mm-hmm. and my largest size of gene is a Nakota. Now, we have, a, 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 we have plus sizes, and um, for instance, the Appaloosa is the, the largest gene in the regular size, and then there's okay. a slight pattern break, and the Morgan is the smallest of our plus sizes. Basically, you go to the sizing page, and you put your feet together, and you take your measurements, and if you give me two numbers, 
If you gave me your waist and your hip, I could tell you what size of jean from the sizing page to choose. And it's working really, really well, and that people are loving, absolutely loving the breed names. It's kind of exciting Good. and different and new and fun. Right. Well, it helps you find the real measurement rather than trying to fit into something that may or may not be your actual digit anymore. Right, right. It just doesn't work when somebody says, oh, I, you know, I wear a size this, I wear in this gene, this other style gene, that, that doesn't work for me. And when I'm, it's my job, my main job is to fit the first wave. And that brings me to my cult special. But that's my job is I send two genes and I want those gene, one of those genes to fit for them and for me. Otherwise, it's just too much back and forth. And now, tell us a little I, more about that. How does that, how, did, how do you send that? How do you decide what you're going to send? And then how does that process work with people choosing the best one? Okay, so um, on the website, it's explained um, very clearly what I call is my cult special, C-O-L-T, cult. Mm-hmm. And you put that word anywhere on your order, and I know what it is that you want. Even if you've kind of messed your order up, I'll fix it. So you go to the sizing page and you, you get your two numbers and you choose two breed size sizes that you'll think will work for you. And I and then you make your order and you put your colt in the order notes. All you do is say colt. And I provide a resealable bag and a prepaid shipping label. And I ship you I ship you the two pairs of jeans and a successful colt is one you love and you keep and it fits, mm. and then you just pop the other in the resealable bag using the label that I have provided that's already paid for, and you ship it back, and I don't charge for the gene until you tell me you want to keep one. And, boy, it's, it's working great. You know, Good. the gals, if they have any questions, they call me, um, and if we miss, we just switch it out. And But 95% of the time... Uh, the cult special it's just it's it's working it's working for everybody good very good well i think that just takes into consideration real riders real body shapes and trying to find what's really right for you and what's going to be the most comfortable once you're riding once you're up in the saddle thanks for listening to julie goodnight's horse master academy podcast presented by smooth stride riding jeans Check out SmoothStride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit JulieGoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 